Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. First he walked out alive, then he was killed in a fist fight, then he was strangled to death. The Saudis can't get their stories straight. And who believes it? Hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. It's a Monday. Monday, October 22nd. Hello, 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 and welcome to the program, The Bill Press Show. Hope you had a, a great weekend. We're able to uh, relax, catch up with friends and family, and uh, just kick back, get your batteries recharged and ready to go. Plus a lot of sports over the weekend as well. And uh, now we've got a whole new week with a whole new set of issues. Well, not so such new issues. A lot of the issues uh, hanging around last week, which were unresolved, uh, continue this week, including, of course, uh, the mysteries surrounding uh, the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. We may get all the answers tomorrow when the president of Turkey says he's going to release all the information they have on what happened inside the consulate. We continue to track the caravan of maybe now up to 5,000 people fleeing Honduras and Guatemala, uh, making their way through Mexico, many of them hoping to reach the U.S. border, and Donald Trump still vowing to shut off uh, the border. And a big debate last night in Florida uh, between uh, Republican Ron DeSantis and Democratic candidate Andrew Gillum. Polls today showing Gillum, after that debate, up 12 points over the little Trumper down there in Florida, Mr. Trump's hand-picked candidates. This is just the new Roy Moore in many ways. All of that to talk about, all of that you are going to want to comment on. Get ready to send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Look forward to hearing from you. But first... (laughs) 
This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, Bill, I know you didn't win the Mega Millions over the weekend, not only because uh, we know that there were no winners, but also because you actually showed up to work today. Uh, That's right, yes. I think you and I are of the same mind that if we were to win the lottery, you're just not going to see me the next day. Yeah, let's make that clear. All these people who say, I'm just going to continue doing my job. I'm going to keep on going to my Uh -uh. job. No, no, no. Count me out. I'm just not going to show up for work. Well, there were no winners in the Mega Millions over the weekend, which means that, holy cow, the jackpot is now up to $1.6 billion. Hey, there was no Powerball winner either. I was about to get to that. There was no Powerball winner either. Let me just finish on the Mega Millions. sorry. So here's the guy that's the director of the Mega Millions lottery. His name uh, is Gordon Medenica. He says that this uh, record-setting payout, $1.6 billion, could go higher. At this point, we're tracking sales as they come in and estimating to the best we can, but, you know, hold on to your hats. It could go up even further. Could go up even more. Right now, you have a chance of the chances of winning are one in 303 million. And as you mentioned, there was no Powerball winner over the weekend, too. That is currently sitting at a pretty major uh, payout as well. If you put together the Mega Millions and the Powerball, Right now, there is $2.2 billion worth of lottery money to get. Is that insane? Insane? The Meg- you got, you've got your tickets. Forget it. I've you've got, got your tickets. tickets. Those All are- i got to say is, if I didn't win, I'm glad nobody else won. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I hate to put it that way. Uh, but I went out yesterday and got my Powerball and my Mega Million. I'm like, ooh, I should right. better cover it up. So yeah, I don't, don't let anybody see it. The Powerball no. uh, uh, prize uh, right now is at $620 million, which is nothing to sneeze at. I'll I mean, take that's, it. I'll yeah, take I'd take that. Second certainly. prize, I'll take the Powerball. <laughs> you know, um, it's silly, really, because there are a lot of people like me, I admit how dumb it is, that the bigger it gets, yeah. the less of a chance you have to win. Yeah. Yeah, as I mentioned, it's like what, 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 yeah, like the, one hundred three million, three hundred three million. Yeah, but yeah. I figure I have as much a chance, a greater chance to win with one ticket as I do with five or ten or a hundred. Yeah, anybody who spends like a hundred dollars on this, crazy. It. Yeah, crazy. One ticket is is all you need. All you need and a one, dream. That, yeah, you know, one ticket and a dream, <laughs> and a little bit of luck. Yeah. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, the Saudis tell a great big fat lie, and Donald Trump says, this is a good first step. (laughs) Yeah, of course. It takes a liar to appreciate another liar. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. Here we go. Weekend's over. Jumping into a whole new week. Hope the weekend was a good one for you. Here we uh, with the Bill Press Show on this Monday, October 22nd. Wow. Heading off to you all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, such as it is, uh, following a lot of stories that were still pretty active last week. Uh, the midterm elections, of course, in full force with Donald Trump uh, making stops this uh, weekend, a, a tri-state stop in Montana, Nevada, and Arizona. And today he heads into Texas to help out Lion Ted. Yeah, Lion Ted, who hates Donald Trump so much, but he's in such trouble that he had to uh, swallow his pride and call Donald Trump in to help him. Uh, That's going to be 
very, very funny to see the two of them on stage together after all the nasty things that they've said about each other. I wonder whether Donald Trump is going to say anything about Ted Cruz's dad trying to be being part of the assassination squad on John F. Kennedy. May not hear about that today. Uh, we've also we're also following the caravan coming up through Mexico, some four thousand strong. Some estimate it's grown up to five thousand strong now. Donald Trump says he will seal the border, use the military to seal the border. By the way, he doesn't realize we already have military that he sent to the border that have been at the border for like six months, and they have not sealed the border. So how many more are we going to send? Of course, Donald Trump never explains that, and nobody asks him those kind of practical questions. And, yes, the mystery surrounding uh, the disappearance, the murder, the dismemberment of uh, Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi uh, deepens no matter what the Saudis say. Their their excuse, which they released over the weekend, doesn't answer any questions. It really raises more questions. Uh, All of that to talk about with all of you, and we want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. We're going to get into voting fraud uh, and the, the, the attempts at voter suppression, really, uh, in response to alleged voter fraud. Danielle Root, who is a voting rights manager for the Center for American Progress, will be joining us. Cam Joseph, senior political correspondent for Talking Points Memo, will be along as a friend of Bill, and will be joined by the executive director, the new executive director of Planned Parenthood, Deidre Schiffling, uh, all in studio. So great guests coming up, and of course you are the most important guest. That's why we always want to hear from you and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Well, the latest on the Khashoggi murder, I mean, on top of everything over the weekend, and we'll get to that in just a second, but CNN, breaking news this morning, uh, that there is now a body double involved. Actually, they're they're reporting, and there are photographs that go along with their report that are pretty conclusive, uh, that a Saudi operative actually walked out of the consulate, and then was seen in Istanbul wearing the clothing, wearing the clothes of Jamal Khashoggi. So they killed him, they dismembered him, they ripped off his clothes, stole his clothes, put his clothes on one of the Saudi operatives, using him as a body double to prove that Khashoggi, if there were any videotapes that would show that Khashoggi actually walked out of the embassy. It gets worse and worse and worse. And we're supposed to believe any of this crap? So after we left you uh, Friday with still the questions about what happened there, we had not heard anything from the Saudi government. Uh, You know, there's such a thing here in this country as the uh, Friday news dump. And it usually happens from the White House around 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock Friday afternoon when everybody's gone into the weekend. And so that's the way you put out bad news. That's that's, That's where it comes from. So that, you know, most people are not paying attention to the news on Saturday and Sunday. So it's just you get it out there, but it gets buried. That's that's a tactic that Democrat, Democratic and Republican administrations have used. Well, the Saudis uh, perfected or uh, took it one step further. They released their official report on what happened in the Saudi consulate uh, in Istanbul at 1 a.m. Saturday morning. I mean, 
Come on. That was wild. That, yeah. I mean, now, it was a little earlier here, of course, but 1 a.m. Saturday morning in Saudi Arabia so that nobody would see it, right? But what they claim is just unbelievable. They claim for now for the first time, uh, yes, he is dead. No. So our original story that he walked out the back door and we have no idea where he is, they basically admitted they lied. So now they admit it. You've heard this, I'm sure, but just 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 take stock of it because it, it's it so really incredible. Is. If you it, step away from it for a second and you think about where we've come with this story over yeah, the last yeah. three weeks now, yeah, it it'll is, blow your mind. It blow it will blow your mind, and it makes no sense at all. At it does all. not add up at all. So now they say, okay, yes, he's dead. What happened was he got in a fist fight soon after he walked in. He got in a fist fight, and he was killed. Originally, remember, there was also this report. It was an interrogation gone awry. No, no. So they said, no, no, no. He walked out alive. No. Interrogation gone awry. No. The news story they released, 1 a.m. Saturday morning, Saudi Arabia time. He got in a fist fight soon after he walked in, and he was killed in that fist fight, which soon merged into actually in the fist fight, he was striking, and then somebody put a chokehold on him and strangled him to death. And we're sorry about that, and we've let 18 people go, and the crown prince had nothing to do with it, and we've opened an official investigation, which the crown prince is in charge of. Now, anybody who would buy that is a total, total fool. Uh, hello, Donald Trump. Yeah, because Donald Trump's response was, oh, this is pretty credible. Oh, this is a good first step. No, it's not. Just on its face. A guy walks no, it's in not. to go and get you know, uh, paperwork for his upcoming marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's it. Wait a minute. And he gets in a fist fight with fifteen right. I mean, come on. Fifteen Saudis? I mean <laughs> what chance does he have? So even if, right, um something happens. Did they so let's say they've got a, a wounded guy or a, a guy that sometimes an altercation happens. Um, by the way, that's not what the video audio tape reportedly shows. Um, all kinds of questions, right? Did they call the authorities? Did they call an ambulance? Did they seek any help for the guy? Um, why did they need to interrogate him in the first place? Just because he was a columnist whose work they didn't like? Why did they cut off his fingers? Hello? Right? Um, why did they send 15 people, most of whom have connections to the crown prince, to interrogate this guy? And do we really suppose to believe? And, and by the way, number one question is where's the body? They still haven't said. They still, still haven't that, said. I mean, that, that feels no. like a question. If you're going to explain this away, which it seems like they're trying to do, <clears throat> that seems like something that you would address. Uh, yeah, you would have something to say. Now, the Turks believe that they took the dismembered body parts and buried them in woods outside of Istanbul. We don't know. They've, they've been searching those forests. Or that they buried them maybe in the garden of the consulate's house. They were looking around there, too. Who knows? But the Saudis have said nothing, nothing at all uh, about the whereabouts of his remains. Uh, and then again, the role of the crown prince. 
The people who were dismissed, one of them was a forensic, the forensic doctor who allegedly brought the bone saw with him. Uh, last year, he put out a, a tweet which several people have quoted saying, are you kidding? You think I would do anything on my own without direct instructions from the royal family? Oh, no. I work for the royal family, and I am loyal to the royal family. All of these people were. This would not happen. These people, including the, the crown prince's head of security, part of this delegation, None of them would have been there. None of them would have done what they did without the direct knowledge of the crown prince. And the idea that we accept now as a good first step an investigation led by the crown prince himself, it's like putting Charles Manson in charge of the investigation of those 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 murders way back decades ago in Hollywood. I mean, it's insane. It's just absolute. And what it really looks like is this: that the, the crown prince, who is probably the wealthiest person on the planet. He's got a $450 million yacht. You know, last year, remember, he he uh, he, he broke the, no, it was $500 million yacht. Last year, he broke the record for uh, um, art collectors paying $450 million for a, for a Leonardo da Vinci painting. He's got a big chateau outside of Paris, not to mention multiple homes in Saudi Arabia. Again, the wealthiest man on the planet, and it looks like he's going to just walk away from this why? Because we have an arms deal with Saudi Arabia, and that's the most important thing to, to Donald Trump. It is absolutely insane to say anybody who would believe that caca uh, is, a fool him, is a fool himself. And, and fortunately, some Republicans have, um, have been willing to break with the president and suggest that. Lindsey Graham has, trying to redeem himself, I guess, with some of us. Bob Corker, chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, said it's very likely that this whole thing was directed by um, uh, MBS, the, uh, the, the crown prince. Uh, and as far as uh, Donald Trump says, again, uh, he, he set out in Arizona, no, no, no. Uh, this whole thing, this report, it's a great first step. I think it's a good first step. It's a big step. It's a lot of people, a lot of people involved, and I think it's a great first step. I just can we just just hang on. What, listen to that, that clip insane. again. Yeah, it makes no sense. No, I think it's a good first step. It's a big step. It's a lot of people, a lot of people involved, and I think it's a great first step. Great. Okay. Well, that clarifies things. Now, it's not a good first step because it doesn't explain anything or do anything, nor has he done anything. It's a big right? step. It's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of like all over the place. I mean, Don Trump, yeah, it's a good first step. Later he said uh, it looks like there were some deceptions, but he keeps coming back to his bottom line, which he said in Arizona is, yeah, it looks bad, but now, boy, we can't do anything about it. That's not helpful for us to cancel an order like that. That hurts us far more than it hurts them. Yep. Bottom line is the bottom line with Donald Trump. Right. That's what it is. It, um, it's very similar to what uh, a little Trumper, uh, Corey Stewart, who is running for Senate in Virginia, uh, said last night on MSNBC. I was on uh, Politics Nation without Reverend Al Sharpton, and uh, in between the two times I was on, he interviewed Corey Stewart, again, Senate candidate in Virginia, who said, um, we can't do anything about this, and um, we shouldn't try to do anything about this either, because all Arab nations, not just the Saudis, have human rights violations, so we should not single out the Saudis. And besides, Corey Stewart said this, actually, on the air, check out the videotape, and besides, it's only one man. 
And so, gosh, we can't destroy our relations with a major ally like Saudi Arabia just because they murdered and dismembered one man, <clears throat> whom I ha might happen to point out is his constituent as a resident of Virginia. You would think. So disgusting. You would think, no matter Republican or Democrat, if it were somebody in your state who was murdered by the Saudis, that you would say something about it. Maybe not so complimentary about it. Uh, un unbelievable. We don't know where this goes, except that the president of Turkey, uh, Tur uh, President Erdogan, has said he uh, is not happy with the Saudi uh, explanation, and he is going to come forward tomorrow and release all the information that the Turkish intelligence agencies have uh, uncovered regarding uh, what happened in the consulate, including, one would presume, the audio tape. They say they've got the audio tape. We'll find out tomorrow. Uh, and um, if he, uh, if if the if, if what he releases adds up to what the Turks have leaked, actually happened, uh, this could blow the whole thing absolutely Completely. wide open. Completely, totally, totally. Just prove that what the what liars they are, and we'll see what Donald Trump. Donald Trump has said some, nothing about sanctions. He said nothing about expelling. Um, the uh, Saudi ambassador from the United States. Um, nothing about, uh, again, questioning some of the deals that we have um, with the Saudis in, uh, regarding help in Syria or help with Iran or these arms sales. Nothing at all, basically. What, what, what Donald Trump really wants to happen, he wants to be able to walk away from this, let the whole thing just sort of go away and absolutely do nothing. They're, they're running out the clock. And they're giving the Saudis, again, all the time they need for this new investigation led by the crown prince who directed the first operation in the first place. It stinks. Meanwhile, uh, yeah, um, Donald Trump up to uh, some other um, no good. Um, he announced over the weekend that, uh, you know... <laughs> He's, it's, it's just unbelievable. He has undone so many treaties uh, that were made by the United States in good faith by Republican and Democratic presidents since he's been in, in again, less than two years. So um, the Paris Accords, in no particular order, the Paris Accords, gone. The Iran nuclear deal, gone. NAFTA, gone. The latest, Donald Trump announcing now that he wants to undo and repudiate a 1987 INF treaty, the Intermediate Nuclear Range uh, Missiles Treaty, signed by Ronald Reagan and Mike Mikhail Gorbachev in 1987, uh, and repudiate that arms deal and go back to basically the nuclear arms race. It's go, crazy. Go back to building and installing intermediate range nuclear weapons throughout uh, West uh, Eastern Europe and uh, and and Asia uh, I mean think about that this is this is not Barack Obama undoing Barack Obama something Barack Obama did or Bill Clinton did this is Ronald Reagan who thought this was the right move for this country and it was a right move for the country and the right move for the world uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to have dinner last night with my good friend the governor of California Jerry Brown who was in town for a nuclear 
um, nuclear proliferation meeting um, uh, and um, with a new organization he's on the board of. At any rate, he was saying that this this could undo every single nuclear uh, uh, treaty that we have because when this one goes, then none of the all the rest of them basically fall. So we could be back to a total arms race with Russia, um, thanks to Donald Trump, within a year. You know, you say that like it's a, a scary thing, which it is to just about everybody else, but not to Trump. The idea no. of an arms race is What's perfect that? for Trump. What's that mean for him? More money for the military. Totally, more yeah. money for the military. He gets to he gets to go out there and act like a strong man and and just sort of. Uh, scream and shout about things that may or may not be true or may or may not be coming, right? Like, he, he's such a perfect president for, a, a, a f- like, an arms race like that in that sense. Like, he's so comfortable with that. Yeah. No, absolutely. He won't lose a minute of sleep over it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it also gets back to the, we have to ask, who are we and what is our word worth anymore, Right. If, if Donald Trump can just unravel, undo, repudiate any agreement, any treaty that the United States has made for dec- over the last 20, 30, 40 years um, and just summarily say, no, I don't like that, so we're just going to get out of it. I mean, why would anybody trust us about anything anymore? I mean, the, the reputation and the word of the United States is on the line. It was on the line in Paris. It was on the line in Iran. It was on the line with Mexico and Canada in the NAFTA trade deal. You could renegotiate maybe to get a better deal. That's not what Donald Trump did. And it's been on the line since the days of Ronald Reagan with his INF. Uh, Reagan, who, to his credit, assigned more than one nuclear uh, arms deal to reduce the, 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 the number of nuclear weapons uh, in, uh, between us and the then Soviet Union, uh, Donald Trump going in just the opposite direction. Hasn't happened yet. He's threatened to do it. Uh, there would be a great move, and uh, hopefully Congress would stand up and say, no, we're not going to allow this to happen. But we've been waiting for the Republican Congress to show any spine and opposing Donald Trump on anything yet. Um, so don't <laughs> no chances that the Republicans will stand up to Donald Trump on this one are not very good either. Meanwhile, uh, Trump also, and this is the lead story in the New York Times this morning, Donald Trump also has decided that they are going to remember he did by, tw- by Twitter announce that we were not going to allow any more any transgender Americans to serve in the military and ordered the, the military. This was a, early on in his administration uh, in the spring of 2017. Uh, and gave James Mattis, a defense secretary, the orders to um, uh, basically start expelling transgender people from the military and accept no more. Uh, James Mattis said, well, we don't take orders by tweets. We'll just do a study of this. And the military has been very slow to take any steps. Now Donald Trump is, t- is taking it one step further, the administration announcing that they're going to declare uh, that basically there is no such thing as transgender Americans. Um, you are what you are based on the genitalia at your birth, period. And nothing else beyond that would be accepted anyway, anyhow, by anybody. Um, the fact is, and I don't know the exact number, that's just not the case with a lot of Americans. And maybe it's hard for some of us to understand, but that is a reality that 
that you cannot deny, and I think we have to deal with, and we have to respect transgender people, and uh, and 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 treat them equally, treat them as equal Americans, treat them as gay or lesbian or straight or homosexual or bisexual or transgender. No big deal. Should not be. Donald Trump is making it a big deal and singling them out for action by the federal government. And again, you have to wonder why. I mean, what is the threat to Donald Trump or to the American people that some Americans um, discover that they are um, basically not what they were born to be uh, and they're, they, they, they really need to make this transition uh, from male to female or female to male or whatever, transgender Americans, uh, and be accepted happily in this country as they should be. No, not for Donald Trump. He's not going to let it happen. Last night, a great, big, important debate down in Florida, the most exciting governor's race, I think, in the entire country. Andrew Gillum, Democratic nominee, up against Ron DeSantis, who uh, is there only because Donald Trump himself, DeSantis, a big supporter of Donald Trump on Fox News, a member of Congress, Republican member of Congress. He won Donald Trump's heart by defending him so much on Fox News. Uh, He was trailing badly in the Republican primary until Donald Trump went down to Florida and said, this is the guy I want to be the next governor of Florida. So DeSantis is now the Republican nominee. He was up against the African-American mayor, or the mayor, who happens to be an African-American, of Tallahassee, Florida. I say that because Ron Gillum wants everybody to know that Ronald, that, that Andrew Gillum is black. That's oh, yeah. a big part of his campaign. We remember uh, the very day after he won the nomination, Andrew Gillum says, uh, we can't monkey around or monkey up this race or something like yeah. that. Yeah, deliberate racist remark. But boy, Andrew Gillum showed last night, uh, I thought, his backbone, his spine, and his Look, leadership. We, he was phenomenal. We, we like Andrew Gillum on this show, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that I just like, All the on way. paper, when we read what he's uh, talking about and things like that. But to see him in action last night, he was remarkable. Like, I was I was watching, the, I didn't stay up and yeah. watch it last night, I was watching and pulling clips this yeah. morning. He's a fantastic debater. Yeah. And there's no wishy-washy nonsense. He just was throwing punches. Right. And the debate, uh, going into the debate, the latest uh, CNN poll showed that uh, Andrew Gillum was up 12 points over uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, Jake Tapper was the uh, moderator, and Gillum came out of the box swinging, uh, accusing Gillum of being a failed mayor and uh, involved in corruption and everything. Andrew Gillum on that corruption thing, there is, the FBI is investigating ties between lobbyists and the state legislature in which happens to be Tallahassee, the state capital, uh, but Andrew Gillum made clear it doesn't include me. I am not under FBI investigation, and neither neither is my city government. Yep, and in terms of uh, Gillum's charge that Tallahassee has a crime spree, Gillum said, check the facts. Uh, I preside over a city that is experiencing a five-year low in our crime rate on trajectory to be at a 20-year low in our crime rate. No, no matter of restatement of what he has to say is going to change the facts. This is CNN, not Fox. You have to bring facts to the conversation. <laughs> I love that. CNN, not Fox. Yeah, it was the CNN town so hall. Again, moderated by, uh, by, by Jake Tapper. Uh, and a very uh, awkward moment for Ron DeSantis. He was asked to 
to defend Donald Trump. And really, precisely, do you consider Donald Trump a role model for American children? DeSantis went all over the place. Yeah, it was all so confusing Very and so awkward. messed up yeah. to the point that uh, to, after he answers, Tapper turns to Gillum and he says, and the same question for you. And Gillum is confused. He's like, I don't understand what the question was because he didn't answer the question that you asked. Right. And he wouldn't say, yeah, he wouldn't answer that yes or no. You know why? Yeah, because he's not. Uh, at any rate, Gillum takes off on that. Uh, no, he's not. Uh, Donald Trump is Donald yeah, Trump right. is weak. Uh, and he performs as all weak people do. They become bullies. Uh, and Mr. DeSantis is his acolyte. Uh, he's uh, trying out to be the Trump apprentice. Uh, at every turn, he's tweeting him. He's talking to him. He's showing up. He's complimenting him. Two other issues, uh, particularly to Florida, that were discussed. One was uh, climate change, where Ron DeSantis uh, gets in the old Donald Trump thing. Well, you know, there are scientists on one side and science on the other. And, you know, we can't really say we're just going to follow the science. And I mean, of all places, Florida, which has been battered more than anybody else uh, the last couple of years by hurricanes and storms and flooding results of climate change. Uh, Andrew Gillum said, "Uh, uh-uh, look, I believe in the science. I know what's happening to our state. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to exercise leadership like Jerry Brown has in California on the issue of climate change. And then, of course, on the issue of school shootings, Parkland, Florida. How can we forget? Uh, And again, Ron DeSantis, uh, who even didn't even support the legislation that the students of Parkland, Florida wanted out of Congress uh, in in response to that shooting. Uh, Andrew Gillum saying, well, we know why. The congressman was against the piece of legislation because he is wholly owned uh, by the NRA. So, Andrew Gillum, 12 points ahead before the debate. I got to tell you, I think that lead has uh, will, will have increased substantially uh, after the debate. He looks stronger than ever. Uh, what a great victory that would be to see Andrew Gillum, uh, the governor of Florida. And, of course, uh, people are counting on him, and he's got the enthusiasm of young people, of Latinos, African Americans, women in Florida. Uh, he's a great progressive, uh, and uh, people are counting on him to also lift the candidacy of Senator Bill Nelson up, who is not such an outstanding candidate. He's a good man, very good man, very good vote, good Democrat, uh, but he's no uh, Andrew Gillum. Yeah, so uh, he may be— That's putting it lightly, but yes. He may be riding in on Andrew Gillum's uh, (laughs) coattails down there, yeah. Anyhow, you see, lots, lots, lots going on. Meanwhile, big question— in the state of another another governor's race, in the state of Georgia, with a big question, attempts outright attempts by the Republican candidate down there, who happens to be the Secretary of State of Georgia, to suppress the vote. We'll find out more about this from Danielle Root from the Center for American Progress, who joins us in studio next. Look forward to hearing your comments on all the news of the day we've been talking about and things we didn't even get to yet. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Monday, October 22nd, welcome to the program, folks. Good to have you with us today as we reach out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard, the steelworkers, working hard to... um, rebuild America's steel industry here in this country, bring back those manufacturing jobs. We salute them for their good work 
and thank them for the support of the program. Check out their website at usw.org. We welcome to the studio from the Center for American Progress, a voting rights manager on all issues of election security and voter fraud, uh, Danielle Root. Hello, Danielle. Nice to see you. Hello. Thank you for having me. We are uh, good to have you in studio, and we've been at it for a little bit, uh, uh, talking about the big news stories of the day. Uh, Peter, generating yeah. some comments? Yes, indeed. Lots of comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, somebody chiming in. This is this is what I was trying to say about Andrew Gillum. Gillum sounds like a fighting Democrat, and that's what we need. I think that's the best way to put it. He, that's good. He, he yeah. didn't stand for any of the nonsense uh, that was thrown his way last night in the debate. Uh, you mentioned- uh, He's an incredible candidate. Totally. Know, and- uh, um, he wins if he when he wins. When you he know, wins, when he wins, he'll be um, automatically talked about for higher office. Yeah, yeah, as as I think he should be. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you were hanging out with Jerry Brown this weekend. KG says Jerry Brown for president of Cascadia, California, Oregon, and Washington. <laughs> oh. They're going to have their own little area out there on the left coast. It's about time. Uh, and let also, me just say yeah. that uh, Jerry and I did talk last night about Jerry Brown in 2020, and. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it it happened. It was talked about. Uh, one other comment from Luna says on the climate change issue, which was again part of the debate last night in Florida, uh, there are not scientists on both sides of climate change. There are scientists on one side and quacks on the other. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Or paid oil industry spokespersons on the other. That's right. Yeah. That's right. By the way, if I could just take a quick moment, because we got some, we got a lot of comments uh, over the weekend. We put on our weekend podcast. Uh, we did an interview with Sean McElwee from Data yes, for Progress. Yes. Uh-huh. They're a great, great group. And one of the things that they that they do is you go to their uh, site, you contribute money, and they've been watching all these different polls. Their their goal is to flip as many state legislatures as they can. So you give them the money, and then they will put it towards a candidacy. That really, really needs it. I, I, I know this is a great program. I think it's, really- it's great, and they're really, really smart. It's so exciting what they're doing. And so we had a conversation with him, which you, which went out over the weekend. You can only get it if you subscribe to our podcast. Uh, obviously, you can which get the- by the way, you should. You should. Obviously, you get the show every day when we do the show, but then also on the weekend we have some bonus content. That and you how do you subscribe to our? Oh, podcast, Bill, I'm glad Peter. you asked. Uh, <laughs> if you go to iTunes, you search for the Bill Press Show. There's a button there that says subscribe. Just hit subscribe. That way you get your podcast delivered right to your phone or your iPad or your computer or wherever you get them. It's easy as that. Easy as that. But, you know, there are people who have a lot of money who pay consultants a lot of money to tell them where they should spend their dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Where they should, which candidates they should support in which races. I know a lot of these people. I know a lot of those millionaires who have that kind of money, and I know a lot of consultants who have, make a good living advising those yeah. candidates. I have for for years. Um, this organization does it for us for free. For free. And he was saying it's basically just him and a bunch of his friends. They were sort of outraged over what happened in 2016 for a lot of different reasons, and one of them was that Democrats, it, it, it really kind of sunk home to them that, like, yeah, we just ignored state legislatures for a long, long time. And... That can't happen anymore, and they were going to do something about it. Well, let's remind ourselves there were like 900 state legislative seats lost 
during the eight years that Barack Obama was president yeah. because Democrats were not paying any attention nope. to state races. The organization and how people reach it again, Peter? Uh, it's Data for Progress. You can uh, follow them on Twitter at Data Progress, uh, or their website is dataforprogress.org. Uh, all the details are, again, in the podcast if you're subscribed to that. So right. uh, check it out. Check it out. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, so Danielle, this all relates, right, to voting and, and access to voting and, uh, and turnout and attempts to suppress the vote or to influence the vote. Uh, all of which is uh, your domain. Yes, indeed. I did see over the weekend that Donald Trump has uh, th- threatened uh, like massive retaliation or punishment against anybody who who votes but does not support any voter fraud, any case of voter fraud sure. in this country. Again, raising this whole issue that there's massive voter fraud in the country. What's the reality? I mean, it's just it's an insane claim that keeps getting brought up, particularly by the Trump administration and, of course, people like Chris Kobach, who have their own agenda um, for suppressing the vote. And what we know from Chris Kobach, secretary of state, Kansas. Correct. Who I believe is running for governor, running for governor. He is. Yes. Yeah. Um, This you know, there have been. God forbid. uh, Correct. um, Numerous studies over the years studying um, the. the frequency or lack thereof of voter fraud in this country, including a study commissioned by the George W. Bush administration during his time as president. And what we know, what these studies have showed us is that voter fraud is vanishingly rare. It just does not happen very often. And instead, what we see are influxes of voter suppression efforts that sort of hide behind this boogeyman voter fraud argument. But Everybody knows that it just does not happen very often. Right. And in fact, the latest attempt at this uh, was the commission created by Donald Trump, Correct. headed by Kobach, which was a, reportedly going to show all evidence of this massive voter fraud and came up with nothing and basically went out of existence, right? Exactly, exactly. It was such a I mean, sham commission Even when from they were the in, start. in charge of it, they couldn't come up with any. Right, and they just <laughs> kept breaking the law. You know, as a presidential commission, you think that you would have your ducks in, the, in a row before you really do anything because all eyes are on you. And they kept breaking the law and had so many lawsuits filed against them that they just, they had to d- dissolve. And they also were not, as you sort of mentioned, um, we're not finding the evidence of voter fraud that they sort of started out um, looking to do. Right. So. You remind me that they didn't they ask all the states, right, to basically turn they over did. all of your voting records. Right? They did, which is yeah. not it's illegal in many states to actually turn over that sensitive information, which is why they were sued by many states, including some red states. Right? Correct. Saying, correct. No, we're not going to do. This. Yes. I think it was also the it was the secretary of state or of governor or governor of Mississippi, I believe, who was like, oh, yeah, I will tell him to just jump into the Remember ocean. That? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We yeah. played that clip. Yeah, right? it was so, great. I'll tell him to jump into the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> jump into the ocean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, well, so and in light of that, a couple of things have happened um, recently. Um, one is there was a um, Russian um, citizen mm-hmm. woman who has been was arrested last week by the charge by the Department of Justice for meddling, interfering in this election, the midterm election. Mm -hmm. We still haven't 
adequately dealt with the interference in the 2016 presidential election. We'll get to that in a little bit. But so what are the charges? What was the reality? What was going on? How many people were impacted? Do we know? So we really don't know how many people were impacted. We we are just sort of um, covering the surface. Was she a sole operative? Highly doubtful. I mean, the information that we know about um, Russian interference in our elections in 2016, definitely, but also in 2018, um, is it's a pretty sophisticated operation is what most national security experts believe. Um, and so this is really just the tipping point. And I think it would be very surprising if more people were not indicted by um, the Department of Justice in coming months and in coming years after this election right. interference. Uh, she was operating in this country? Yes, I believe so. Yes. And do we know, was she like using Facebook, Google, social media, is that was that her domain? You know, I haven't actually read the indictment yet. Um, I know that social media platforms have been, you know, highly useful for foreign operatives looking to influence elections, particularly I mean, through disinformation. Assume. I mean, I'm sure she wasn't buying billboards, for example. No. She wasn't buying TV spots. Right. Probably. She didn't have... Right. I mean, there's there are certainly other ways that foreign operatives can influence elections or seek to manipulate them. Uh, We know of the the Russian operative who infiltrated the RNC and some high level folks there. Um, And also, of course, um, hacking into DNC servers. Um, I know there have been some Democratic members of Congress who have alleged that their uh, systems in Congress have been have there have been attempted hacks there. And of course, we know that some even conservative uh, leading think tanks, those who have uh, disagreed with Trump on some policy issues, have also been um, been hacked or there have been attempts at hacking. So, um, you know, social media platforms are um, a very powerful way of influencing the minds of the American people related to elections. But what struck me options. about this is that so in 2016, the Obama administration knew, had been uh, um, advised by our intelligence agencies that the Russians were probably trying to influence the outcome of the election. Uh, and the Department of Justice did nothing. Mm-hmm. The White House did nothing. I mean, we were told that President Obama had privately told Vladimir Putin, knock it off, mm-hmm. which which he didn't, and which right. wasn't to, uh, to me was a very weak response, and uh, and um, for which Obama should be held responsible. But at any rate, but but here in 2018, the Justice Department did act. Mm-hmm. Um, this strike you as yeah, strike. you know, I I um I can't quite remember when there have been some reports about when exactly the Obama administration learned about the hacking attempts, and I think that. I think that the Obama administration, from what I've read, had really struggled with how to get that information out to the relevant people. This was like right around election time. And when you're talking about election security, there's always the concern that you are going to scare people away from actually turning out to vote. Um, And so I don't know if that was a consideration. I agree that there should have been a stronger response from the Obama administration. Um, However, you know, I I think that the DOJ has done some excellent work over the last several months and particularly in indicting the, was it 13 or 18 Russians earlier this this summer. Um, But we have not seen a strong response from the Trump administration. And while Obama, I think, was quite quite, um, strong against Putin about, you know, 
mm-hmm. you, you should not be interfering. There will be consequences. Trump has repeatedly denied and has only recently said that, well, I think they probably did something. But wait, the Chinese. So it's, you know, the DO, the, the current DOJ has has been doing good work in the last in the last few months. But um, I sort of hate to give um, the Trump administration credit for that because Trump has been so wishy-washy on this whole thing. On the 2016, which was the major interference. Exactly. Uh, directly. Exactly. Directed by by the Kremlin with a um, with with a with a major impact. So what, you know, your um, area of um, election security? How secure are American? Can, can can people Americans be confident that the vote in twenty eighteen will be accurate and fair and and uh, the, you know they can trust the results? You know, um, that's a great question. Um, I think that you know there have been. Um, there have there's been no evidence that any votes in 2016 were altered by any sort of foreign interference. Um, you know, influenced maybe, but not influenced, but not altered. So I think that Americans can go to the polls and be confident that you know their votes will not be altered. Um, I think that our um, election officials work incredibly, incredibly hard to make sure our elections are safe and the results are accurate. I think that a lot of states have really stepped up their game over the last several months um, to prepare for these elections. Colorado, for example, was just doing war games a few um, a few weeks ago, election war games, where they were sort of putting their election officials to the test of how they would handle certain emergencies or cyber um, hacks and such. So I do think so that- states recognize that there could be games played. And yes. Absolutely. And I do think that they are preparing in the best way that they can for the upcoming midterms. Um, I think time will tell, though, really how sophisticated these foreign actors are and whether even with some of these improvements that have been made, our election systems can withstand them. Are paper ballots more secure than machines? Absolutely. 100 percent. Paper is the most hack proof way of carrying out elections these days. But it's also the most old fashioned way, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It sort of seems like we're taking a step into the past. But I mean, the idea that you would go back to paper ballots. Right. Right. It, it's sort of like you would go back to typewriters. Right. No, it does. It seems it seems very strange. <laughs> and carbon paper. <laughs> well, like, you know, and you, mimeograph machines. <laughs> right. My you God. Hear, I know. But, you know, in the under the current threat <laughs> environment, it's really the only way that we can have a reliable yeah. record of the voters intent. These machines, any computerized system can be hacked. There are ways to do it. And so we need to have that record of the voters intent that election officials can then use in post-election audits to make sure that the results are accurate. It's really amazing, right? Because over the years, we've talked more and more about internet voting, you know, like voting from home, yeah. just doing yeah. it online. Yeah. Or, or, right. and, and it just seems like now it just feels like such a bad idea. I still think it's a good idea. Well, I but, think it's a good idea, but it, but it definitely doesn't feel safe. Yeah. No. Although, you know, you can buy anything online. We all put our credit card numbers online. and But they get hacked. Places get hacked all the time. I mean, I'm not. I, I agree. Like, I wish we could get to a system where we could have internet voting. Yes, a hundred percent. But you well, know, so how many states still have paper ballots or municipal municipalities or whatever? So counties? the majority of states now use paper ballots statewide. Still, really? Yep. yep they're still. still. 
Still. Um, so actually, most states, um, I believe after, you know, after the um, the 2000 election, when the HAVA funds were passed in 20 in 2002, um, a lot of states purchased these electronic paperless machines because they seemed easier. Um, yeah. They were sort yeah. of the new cool technology. Um, but as <laughs> vulnerabilities to those machines started coming out in the news and states began getting briefings on them, um, a lot of states switched back to paper. So now the majority of states um, operate with paper-based voting systems statewide. Only five states still operate with these paperless electronic machines um, statewide. So we're, you know, we're getting there. But, um, you know, those five states that are not operating with paper, though, they're very vulnerable to attack. Uh only five. That's just an amazing thing. I figured everybody yep. was moving in the in the other in the opposite no, direction. No, yeah, people, states are doing doing a pretty good job in in moving forward. And Virginia in the 2017 election, just like three weeks before that election, switched out all of their remaining paperless machines um, to paper because they were concerned about threats of hacking. Well, it's pretty fundamental that when you go to vote, yep. right, uh, that you should be able to trust. That Absolutely. your vote is is accurately recorded and reported. Absolutely, uh, and no no monkeying around there. What? So I, I want to ask you about the situation in Georgia because um, the Secretary of State is the Republican candidate for uh, for governor, uh, Stacey Abrams, a Democratic candidate. I forget his name. And and is it Kemp? Is it? Yep, yeah. Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp. Um, and he has refused to certify some 50, what I've read, some 50,000 people who registered to vote mm-hmm. in this election. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on? Why can't they process these voter registration records? So, yep, that is a great question. Georgia is a repeat offender of voter suppression. Every single year, this state has issues with voter suppression. Um, you know, they have for a very long time had issues with voter purges. And this is sort of looking like what this is going to be, where people who register to vote are thrown off of the voter rolls for whatever reason. Um, back in 2016, it was because there would be a comma or a hyphen out of place in the voter registration form. It's just absurd and ridiculous reasons that these eligible voters are being thrown off the rolls. Um, you know, his well, isn't that what he's saying about these fifty thousand? Oh too, yeah, that there's yeah, some, yeah, yeah. It's just he and he keeps and there was actually a lawsuit um, that was filed back in 2016, and he eventually was like, "Oh, it's okay, never mind." Like, just kidding. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what he does this year because he's already sort well, of been threatened. Pretty with, late here. Dude. It is. It, it sure, it yeah, sure I mean, is. Right, we're fifteen days away. Right, and even if he does say, "Okay, all of these, all of these people." you're on the rolls, go out and vote, there will be widespread confusion among those whose voter registration forms were flagged as potentially ineligible. Um, So even if those people are all allowed on the voter rolls, how will that affect turnout? We don't know, because a lot of people will be like, I don't want to show up to the polls, especially when President Trump is threatening to, you know, go after anybody who commits, quote unquote, voter fraud. Um, So that's a it's it's a real threat. Uh, and isn't there also hasn't there also been some move? I don't know whether it's Georgia or other states to um, limit the number of polling places to to lower reduce the number of polling places. Yes, Ma- meaning more people have to travel farther 
I may not even know where to go to vote. Correct. Yep. There are multiple problems with that. First of all, poll closures um, disproportionately occur in communities with large African-American populations. Oh, coincidence. Coincidence, of course. Um, But also when you reduce the number of polling places, of course, people have to travel farther to get there. But lines at polling places that do exist tend to be longer because you're trying to serve a larger population. Mm -hmm. Um, And there there have been studies that have shown that when lines exceed a certain amount of time, people will just get out of line and leave. Um, So, yeah, the poll closures, again, there's a lot of a lot of voter suppression that can sort of come on the on the sides of just you know, pulling or now, I understand that. That's pretty effective. I mean, uh, I'm, I just sort of the uh, the Trader Joe's approach, right? If I go to look into Trader Joe's and the line is too long, exactly, I, I won't go in. I'll exactly. just say I'll do without it, or I'll come back another day. Right, right. Yep. I'm sure a lot of people are voting that way. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I vote absentee. Don't have to worry about that. Uh, these are major, major, major issues, uh, and it's good that you're on top of them. Danielle, there, you in the Center for American Progress. We try. We do our best. All right. At least uh, keep your eye on these guys uh, on all the games they're trying to play. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you Thanks very for much good for work. having me. At, at AmericanProgress.org, you can follow all of these issues. And we'll be right back with Cam Joseph from Talking Points Memo as a friend of Bill. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Fifteen days until the midterms. Oh, my. Things are tightening up and heating up. Hello, everybody. And uh, we're always heated up here on The Bill Press Show. It's a Monday, Monday, October 22nd. So good to see you today. Thanks for being with us as we bring you up to date on all the news of the day. A lot of stories that uh, were bubbling last week and still bubbling today, including uh, the latest, uh, if you believe, a Saudi explanation on the murder, disappearance, uh, assassination, whatever you want to call it, of uh, journalist uh, Jamal Khashoggi and uh, CNN reporting this morning that Uh, There's now even a body double, and one of the Saudi operatives walked out of the consulate wearing the clothes. Not only did they just murder him, dismember his body, but they stole his clothes, and one of the Saudi operatives walked out of the Saudi consulate in Istanbul wearing the clothes of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, Still, nobody believes their story except maybe Donald Trump, and he's not even sure. Uh, Also, we're watching that caravan heading through Mexico. Uh, of people who uh, want to look seeking a better life either somewhere in Mexico or maybe even the United States and Donald Trump vowing to seal the border and a big debate last night in Florida between Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis uh, candidates for governor 
uh, Donald Trump declaring it immediately a big victory for Ron DeSantis. I think anybody who watched the debate might have come to the opposite conclusion. Uh, anyhow, to cover all of that and more news of the day, we are uh, happy to be joined by our good friend from Talking Points Memo, Cameron Joseph here is a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Okay, I'm good to see you. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for coming in right off the weekend, right? Yeah. Starting out the week <laughs> with a bang here. Uh, we got lots to talk about, and we will, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, over the weekend, we found out who will be playing in the World Series. How about it? The Brewers and the Dodgers. Brewers fought back and actually sent it to a Game 7, which the Dodgers won, which means tomorrow night, Game 1 of the World Series, the L.A. Dodgers versus the Boston Red Sox. In Fenway Park. In Fenway Park. Now, we're Nats fans. Cam is a Chicago Cubs fan. Uh, I think we can all agree that these are two of the most hateable teams in baseball <laughs> that are meeting each other in the World yeah. Series. So I really honestly don't know who I'm rooting for. Cheer for I, Earthquake, yeah. Yeah, I just don't think I'm going to watch. I just don't think I'm going to watch. Go Dodgers! <laughs> well, you're, you're a California guy. I yeah, get it. I get it. You you're dressed the part, too. You got, like, a Dodger blue on. You're all Here set. Is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did that on purpose, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Here's a story out of Florida, Fort Myers, Florida, where police started chasing a man who was on a motorcycle. He was he had uh, committed some different traffic violations, so they tried to pull him over. He ran from the cops, and he actually got away for a little while until the cops caught up with him. They found him at his job interview. He was driving to a job interview, and he didn't want to be late, so he didn't pull over for the cops. Of course, when they showed up and arrested him in the middle of his job interview, that probably didn't help his job prospects. <laughs> uh, and Cam, I know I you appreciate the fact that he was so interested, you know, sure. so determined yeah. to hey, get you a go-getter. Yeah. Hustle. You can't yeah. teach that. <laughs> hey, Cam, I know you were on the road a lot. Have you been out to Nebraska recently? Not super recently. Right. Well, the Nebraska Tourism Commission announced oh, yeah. that they have a new tagline for its tourism campaign. For Nebraska? Well, here's the slogan. Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. <laughs> what? Really? It's so wonderful. <laughs> That's their tagline. They understand that it's, sure, it's not for everyone. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of things. They say they have outdoor recreation, natural beauty, an escape from the city, and a connection to the West. But that being said, that is certainly not for everybody, and they just own up to it in the uh, the new tourism Yeah, slogan. I mean, it's better than Nebraska. We're west adjacent, right? Yeah, right. right. It's amazing. Have you ever drawn across the country? Like, 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 It's just like a straight shot, like yeah. all across Nebraska, one highway all the way across. And every, like, 15 to 20 minutes, you'll just see skid marks off into the <laughs> cornfield. As you can see, somewhere, someone got so bored they fell asleep. It's not for <laughs> everyone. It's amazing. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, first he walked out alive, then he was killed in a fistfight, then he was strangled to death. Now uh, there's a body double wearing his clothing walking out of the consulate. The Saudis can't get their story straight. Nobody believes them, except Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Monday, October 22nd? Great to see you. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always, our nation's capital. And joining you coast-to-coast on every platform we can find online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on the radio, of course, on WCPT, 
Out in the greater Chicago area, hello WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, and on television on Free Speech TV and here in studio with us to help us through all the news of the day from Talking Points Memo Senior Political Correspondent Cameron Joseph. Uh, lots going on, right? Yeah. Um, we uh, used to see each other at the briefings when there were briefings at the White House. Yeah. Uh, been, hasn't been one in a long time. No. But, um, and frankly, I kind of stopped going a little bit earlier just because what useful information and facts are you actually going to get out of those briefings? Uh, I me mean, too. It's I, just, it, it ends up I, being a, a lot of not, you know, no. the, the you know Sarah <clears throat> trying to defend whatever crazy the president said in the days earlier while TV journalists try and make a moment where they're fighting with Sarah to get their bosses happy. It, it's just... It I, kind I, of had lost some of its. Utility. I made the same. I made the same decision for the same for the very same reasons. Um, but if we were at the White House today, you would have to. If we were briefing today, we would have to be asking about Donald Trump. Seems to be caught in this never never land uh, with the Saudis changing the story uh, about Jamal Khashoggi and the murder and dismemberment. Uh, and Donald Trump saying, well, it looks credible, it looks like a first, good first step, and then he says, well, it looks like there are a lot of deceptions, and someday we'll know the truth, and, uh, I mean, where does he go with this? It's, you know, I mean, that's a good question. I don't think that there's a clear explanation that's plausible. I think right now everybody, a lot of people are trying to find a way for the Saudis to get out of this, Kind of admitting what happened while saving face, and I think the Saudis are going to keep trying new stories until they kind of find that balance of believable enough and, you know, survivable enough for the regime. Uh, and I mean, I think it's it's you know this is a very clear example of Republicans, you know, furious about this, the president ignoring what seems very likely to have happened. Uh, and yeah, you know, I think an under-examined part of the story, and I'm not a Middle East expert, so you know, preface it mm -hmm. with that. But you know, what, what's Erdogan's motivation here to embarrass oh. the Saudis in the way that he has? Because um, clearly, this is—I I mean, like part of this, I think, is some national pride, patriotism stuff. But clearly, like he's trying to drive a wedge between the Saudis and the Western world, and that was the play here. And I'm not—I well, I might yeah. add, with a lot of help from the Saudis. I mean, granted. He wasn't the one who knocked off his journalist. Exactly. He's only arrested yeah. hundreds and so of other journalists. But right. uh, you know, he's he's not he, exactly a great faith actor no, no. here. But yeah. um, yeah, I mean, this is you the, know, the Saudis, Saudis have given him an opportunity, yeah. though. Right? Oh, they clearly must. And by the yeah. way, uh, as we reported earlier, uh, Erdogan is uh, has said front page of the New York Times this morning that tomorrow he's going to release everything they've got. Uh, the Turkey has their Turkey yeah. intelligence has uncovered which. They've been leaking, yeah. you know, the shows pretty gruesome yeah. goings on in this in this consulate. And if, of a media rollout they've had. If they roll that out and it show, and it proves to you know to be what they said it is, that's yeah. just going to make it even even worse. And but uh, and meanwhile, uh, you know, in terms of some Republicans and Democrats have said. Well, we should expel the Saudi ambassador. We should put some sanctions on Saudi Arabia, um, whatever. I mean, but so far, Donald Trump has said can't do anything. Yeah. I saw another report uh, that there we don't actually have a Saudi ambassador because we've been so slow in appointing ambassadors. 
No, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm expelled their ambassador from Washington. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rather we, bring no, ours home. But yeah, you're yeah. right. We do not have an right. There's no uh, American ambassador to Saudi Arabia, which is why George, Mike Pompeo had to go over there to talk to yeah. the crown prince. We don't have anybody else. It's, it's yeah, concerning. Uh, little detail that kind of matters there. It's like <laughs> we don't have a foreign policy, you know, around the world, like network we're supposed to have. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think there's a clear answer here and i mean like i like I, i'm not letting donald trump off the hook here but like this is something that we've kind of struggled with for i don't know 40 years and you know the, yeah. the bush family had a pretty close relationship with the the house of Saud, and uh that caught them into some trouble here and there um but you they know, have always I, been major human rights violators yeah this and is this is not to mention that osama bin laden and 15 of the 19 hijackers were all saudis yeah, and and some of the the funds that come from the Saudi royal family for some of these Wahhabi schools around the world, right? Um, you know, s- some of them. Uh, you know, there's different gradations. You know, there's Islamist schools that are not. You know, but you know have back have backed some of these organizations that clearly are fomenting problems. And you know, I, I mean, I think it's interesting we fixated so much on Khashoggi, as awful as this is, and as horrifying as this is. Uh, the Saudis have been basically. Turning Yemen into a hellscape for the last few years, murdering civilians right and left in Yemen, guns with our weapons. Yeah, so you know the the idea. I mean, like, what pivots the public mind isn't always what is actually the most relevant or horrifying thing. It's just the most graphic that you can kind of get your head around. Yeah, and Uh, and for us, a man who was living in the United States of America, right? Exactly. Now it has a local hook. Yeah, sure. And writing for the for the Washington, you know, for the Washington Post. Yeah. Now the Post has a reason to have us on the front page every day. Right. Back to Donald Trump and um and his role. I mean, there's been several reports that this is the man who is willing to express outrage at almost anything. I mean, Frank Luntz whom we know, Republican consultant, tweeted out last week, Donald Trump has shown more outrage over Canadian milk than the Saudis, right? Uh, And to what extent do you think it makes him look weak if he's not willing to stand up to the crown prince and say, no, this is freaking unacceptable, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't don't think it's a great look. I I honestly, I I wonder how many many actual voters this is breaking through with. Uh, I think this is a deeply disturbing thing. But, you know, it's it's the same d- days after he basically said, oh, yeah, I'll believe whatever the Saudis tell me. He was on stage in Montana, uh, ho- you know, home of Congressman Greg Gianforte, who choke slammed yes. my friend right. Ben Jacobs a little over a year ago now. And not only, like, was there partially to, you know, endorse Gianforte, uh, well, he was mostly there for the Senate race, but he was like, you know, I, I like a guy, you know, don't mess with this guy. You don't want to wrestle with him, you know, paraphrasing. And then maybe, like, the body slam motion yeah, and said to like can, huge cheers and laughs from the crowd. Anybody can body slam a reporter is my kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think that Donald Trump exactly is super concerned about the safety and protection of journalists around the world. That doesn't seem to be his driving issue. Correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, it's I mean, it's, it's certainly problematic in terms of optics and in a normal administration where optics mattered more for you know what the elites think i think this would be a bigger problem right now i think they're just this is eventually going to be a story that goes away uh, uh sadly i think you're right and that's what donald trump wants if yeah. he just you know when enough time passes other things will happen yep we'll pay attention to other things and exa- and there's one issue that he's trying to that he keeps talking about i think uh, partly for the purpose 
of let's focus on this and not on the Saudis, and that's the caravan yeah. uh, that's moving up. Uh, these are basically, um, I mean, people started out in Honduras, fleeing Honduras through Guatemala. Now they're into Mexico, uh, where some of them may seek asylum. Some of them may try to get into the United States. Uh, the, the crowd has swelled to 5,000. Donald Trump uh, says last night, said yesterday, no, the, over the weekend in Nevada he was. He said mm-hmm. several times, but this is this is from Nevada where he talked about the kind of people who make up this caravan, uh, echoes of what he said in 2016 about immigrants from um, from Mexico. These are some bad people coming through. They are, these aren't babies. These aren't little angels coming into our country. Uh, and he said he's going to seal the border to keep them out, right, if they get that far. You have some very, very bad people in the caravan. You have some very tough criminal elements within the caravan. But I will seal off the border before they come into this country. So there are no babies and no no children? I mean, I don't know. The video that I've seen uh, and the photographs that I've seen of this uh, caravan, there are a lot of families. There are a lot of kids. It seems like the majority from what I've caught yeah i mean yeah. you know who knows it's it's a sprawling mass of people and, and god forbid that anybody would say what evidence do you have that there's a a lot of criminals in this group yeah i mean this this clearly is a political play ahead of the midterms and i've actually been kind of astonished how this has become the big cable news story and not just the fox news cable news story oh, but no. msnbc yeah. and cnn have people embedded with a caravan um and you know, I mean, I think it shows the power of the presidency. I mean, I, Donald Trump showed throughout his campaign how good he was at getting the media focus on whatever he wants to talk about. It, you know, being outrageous enough that they talked about it, even if they were, you know, people on TV were gassed, they were still talking about what he wanted them to talk about. And I think this is another example of that. The, we're looking at a uh, you know very rough midterm cycle for Republicans that I think are basically going to be. They're going to be saved by only because we're talking about races in such deep red territory, especially in the Senate map and and the outer reaches of the House map. And going to culture war issues like this is beneficial to them right now. And, you know, I was just in Indiana about a week ago uh, for the Senate race there. And Joe Donnelly, the Democrat, is running ads about how he will, will help Donald Trump build the wall. And those are the types of races that we're talking about, uh, where you have Democrats who need a fair amount of Trump voters if they're going to win. And if we're talking about Democrats uh, even just holding serve and not losing Senate seats, which I think is, is what the real goal here is right now for Democrats, I think you know there's still some are hopeful about winning the Senate, but it's a real, real outside shot that that's going to happen. The Democrats that need to win those races are there's five of them in states that Trump won by at least 18 points. And there's a couple of others in states where immigration is a really big issue in Arizona and Nevada. And that issue doesn't always play well for Democrats in those places. And so it's not a dumb move strategically. Now, setting aside whether, you know, we in the media are covering this responsibly, I think is a different issue. Right. So um, looking at the midterms, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were saying the, we're talking about the blue wave uh, and the House and the, even maybe the Senate and, and these five states you mentioned, plus you add Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, there's one other that, that suddenly came in play I'm blanking on. But um, 
now the 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 reporting seems to be that House still looks pretty good, but the Senate fits chances of the Democrats yeah. fading, taking back the Senate are fading. Uh, and they'd be lucky to hold on to what they have now and might even lose one or two. What, yeah. What's your read? What's your? I mean, I, I think that that is probably the most likely thing that happens is Democrats pick up the House and so what the Senate to, is. So what happens to take this, if you will, movement away yeah. from the Democrats? I mean, I think the biggest thing, I mean, first of all, I, I, I think that some, the, the reporting core kind of underread the likelihood, the, the relatively small but real likelihood that the Senate was in play. And at the depths of Trump's numbers in September, all of a sudden people were like, oh, wow, this could happen. And everybody freaked out and wrote their stories. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I did one of those, too, about, you know, Democratic rising enthusiasm. Uh, the polls were better then. Don Donald Trump's poll numbers have come back. He's, you know, at 43, 44 approval rating uh, nationally, which yeah. is uh, 47 not... on NBC over the weekend. Real yeah. Clear, real clear politics is average 45. But... Yeah. I, I mean, like he's he's bounced back. He was in, you know, he was 39, 40 six yeah. weeks ago. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But I mean, one of the big things that we've seen is an increased hyperpolarization over the last month. And part of that was the Supreme Court hearings. Part of that, I think, was just us simply getting closer to the election. And there was something, going to be something that turned these folks who had voted for Trump, who don't love him, who were basically Republicans, who had been undecided in these polls, back towards their party. And we've seen that in a lot mm -hmm. of places. And I, we've seen that. I mean, North Dakota, I think, is a prime example of a race that's just slipped away just because of the sheer numbers. And Heidi Heitkamp had a major misstep in the last week or so. But it's... Yeah, that was going to be an almost impossible race to win unless she managed to keep it a nonpartisan race. On the right. on the blue wave front, by the way, we just put up a poll on our Twitter page at BP Show at BP Show. If you're following us there, uh, you can vote. Just asking, how big is the blue wave going to be? The House will flip, or the House and Senate will flip. That's up now. So go vote. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, th I think honestly, like some of the blue wave. Excitement, I think, driven out of you know some of the desperation and anger on the left over the last year and a half, has gotten away from itself a little bit. If Democrats win the House, that's a big blue wave. The House is a very tough lift for Democrats. Democrats need to win the popular vote by about seven points just to have like a pretty solid shot at winning the House. Those are big numbers, and we're seeing that right now. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the idea that Democrats would win. By seven points and nationally, and somehow that isn't a big wave. That's a big wave. Uh, and if you take the House back, given how gerrymandered a lot of these states are against you, and given how concentrated Democrats are in more urban areas, making it harder to spread out into other areas, that's a big wave. No, and they're going to pick a lot of governorships up too. Yeah, I mean, if right. you look at and and that matters not just now, but for the future. If we're talking about you know part of the reason that the House is so hard is because Republicans had this huge sweeping blue red wave in 2010 and won all these governorships in these big states where they got to gerrymander the states in Wisconsin, in Florida, in Ohio, in Michigan, uh, in Virginia. And Democrats, I think, are even or better than even odds of winning all five of those governorships this time around. That's like 25 House seats for the next decade that at least get easier if don't become slam dunks. Mm -hmm. And so all these members that are going to win in a wave now um, in some of those places, you know, are they going to have a tough reelection in two years? Yeah, but are the seats that they're holding that are really basically Republican seats, but in a really good year, you could see to a Democrat, 
those could just be like swing districts to Democratic districts in the future. And so, you know, I think focusing exclusively on the Senate, I think, is a good way for Democrats to break their own hearts for no good reason on election night. Obviously, they're going to be confirming judges if they still have the Senate. Obviously, there's yeah. a lot of things that Donald Trump will be able to do with just the Senate. Uh, but the idea, like I, structurally, there was just um, there's ten Democrats in Trump states and one Republican in, in uh, Hillary Clinton's state up. That's almost. I mean, the Senate is just so much harder than the House the, this time around. Yeah, the math is almost impossible uh, in the Senate. Back to the House. You know, uh, I, I I really agree with your point that it wasn't. You know, a year ago, people were saying that Democrats could not never take back control of the House until after 2020 when there were new districts drawn, right, or something. Yeah. But, well, and now there's a real chance under the old districts of Democrats, a very good chance that Democrats will take back the House, even though so many of those districts have been gerrymandering. Yeah. To that point, you mentioned 2010. In 2010, Barack Obama's approval rating was right where Donald Trump's is today, 45. Mm-hmm. Republicans lost, I mean, won. Republicans won 63 seats. Yeah. The I, I saw uh, from, um, one, one, I think it was on Politico, that the average, when a president is below 50, the opposition party, the average win for the opposition party is 36 seats. We know Democrats need 23 just to take back the House. They'd like to have a little bit bigger margin than that. Yeah. But if even if, so even if the averages hold out, Right, Democrats really have a very, very good chance to take back the House, and the House is critical. It's not as good as having both the House and the Senate, but with the House, at least you could stop any bad legislation, if you want to call it that, from yeah. getting to Especially, the president from I the mean, president's Republicans desk. Republicans have a more, even if they just keep the numbers they have, they have a more stable uh, numbers because John McCain isn't sick and out, and and Dad Cochran yeah. isn't sick and out, and. So they just have, like, I mean, you saw that in the last six weeks, two months, it started acting more like a majority than it had previously. Um, and if they, you know, hold serve or pick up one seat in the Senate, uh, if Democrats don't win the House, I mean, Mitch McConnell was just talking about how he would like to see another crack at Obamacare repeal. So I think uh, people, you know, like like this, I, I mean, I, it's, it's hard for me to see how they would get that done, but they could try. And there's other legislation they could really push. And I think if but, Democrats do take the House, it ends up being Democrat House members leading scandal investigations and the Republicans confirming judges for the next two years. By the way, if Democrats uh, are looking for um, uh, an important issue and a winning issue uh, and a message issue, uh, I think Mitch McConnell handed it to them last week when Mitch McConnell said, yep. oh, you know, um, it's too bad we weren't able to repeal Obamacare, but keep us in charge and we'll try it again next year. And uh, and then, by the way, yeah, this deficit is getting a little out of control. That's because we were not successful in cutting Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. But keep us in charge, and we'll get it done next year. I mean, you know, you couldn't make it any yeah, more clear. He's, he's this a, is our priority. Master, master tactician, but the message there probably was not helpful for the GOP. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, a great opportunity for Democrats if they uh, if they if they uh, just. Take advantage of it. Yep, and and run on that. Uh, big uh, debate last night in Florida um, with uh, Andrew Gillum, Democratic candidate; Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump's hand-picked Republican nominee for for governor. I don't know if you had a chance to catch any of the debate, but um, Ron uh, Ron uh, um, Ron DeSantis started out 
by calling the uh, saying the mayor was a failed mayor and he was involved in corruption because of this FBI investigation. Uh, Andrew Gillum fires back. I am not under FBI investigation and neither neither is my city government. Uh, one of the um, m- most interesting parts of the debate was when uh, Jake Tapper, who was the CNN town hall, um, asked Ron DeSantis a very simple question. Do you think Donald Trump is a role model for American children? DeSantis bounced around, danced around, wouldn't answer the question. Andrew Gillum did. Uh, no, he's not. Uh, Donald Trump is <laughs> Donald Trump is weak. Uh, And he performs as all weak people do. They become bullies. Uh, And Mr. DeSantis is his acolyte. Uh, He's uh, trying out to be the Trump apprentice Uh, at every turn. He's tweeting him. He's talking to him. He's showing up. He's complimenting him. There is no more classic race in the country, is there, between in terms of reflecting the politics of today than Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I, th- I think that, and uh, I'd also put in a plug for the Georgia governor's race between oh, yeah. Stacey yeah. Abrams and yep. Brian Kemp in terms mm-hmm. of how polarizing things have gotten in certain parts of the country. Um, but you cannot have a bigger contrast between. No, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a guy who was basically picked by Fox News. Yeah, I mean, like, the, we, yeah. we say it's Trump, but like, the reason he won that primary is because he was constantly on Fox News and there's enough Republican base watchers in Florida that watch Fox News all the time. Uh, and that's how essentially how he won the primary over a guy who had basically been running for governor since he was 22. Uh, and, and yeah, the, and Gillum beat a bunch of really much better funded, much yeah. more establishment-backed Democrats. And uh, He said now, he was the only millionaire, only only non-millionaire in the race. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> yeah, which it's just accurate. It's a fact. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean – I, I, you know, it's a very close race. Florida is always close. There's a CNN poll that I think was not right uh, that showed him up with a huge lead. Twelve. Yeah, which there's no way. And I mean, like, I, I, I would bet a vital life organ that that isn't an accurate poll. But uh, I think he's he's up a little bit. Um, and I mean, that's huge. Democrats haven't won a governorship there since 1994. That's mm-hmm. most of my life. So yeah, th- those are big, big governorships that really matter. And if they can win in Florida and it looks like they're going to win Michigan and Scott Walker in Wisconsin, I think is still the underdog and Iowa and all mm-hmm. the, and, you know, Pennsylvania, the guy's going to win re-election and those, that's a lot of house seats and, you know, actually matters for Ohio policy. looks good. Yeah, too. Ohio is very close. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't checked in there closely recently, but I mean, everybody I've, I've talked to thinks that's going to be a one point race either way. So, you know, it's th- these states matter. Right. For, for Florida, the governor, if that, it turns out to be, and there's a good chance again, uh, Democrat, a Democrat, a progressive, young African American. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the things that you don't think of when you think of Florida, right? And depends what part just, of Florida. Florida's that's true. Like 19 states. Yeah, and just yeah. shows that that Florida, like Virginia, is really changing. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, there's huge, fast-growing populations, especially of Puerto Ricans, and uh, the hurricane only sped that up. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, 200,000 new Puerto Rican voter, potential voters in the state from, I think, the last five years. That's, a, I mean, that's a drop in the bucket in Florida, but, like, even if they turn out at, at you know, I, I mean, small, low rates, which I think people are mostly expecting – I mean, the, the the state is getting just a tiny bit bluer every election cycle, uh, and that was kind of obscured by how hard the panhandle went right, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know red Florida went deep red as opposed to kind of purplish red 
last time around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Flor- Florida is a state that's trending very slowly. More, you know, more. It's a very diverse state and trending slowly blue. And um, you know, it's going to be fascinating if, if Democrats can turn that into. I mean, it's a perennial swing state. If they can, all of a sudden, that's a slight edge to Democrats as opposed to a slight edge to Republicans, which is basically has been since the '90s. That's a huge difference. I, I, th- I think really part of the, changes the electoral map. Yeah. I, I think part of the story also, and and. You know, we've talked about Gillum a lot. We like Andrew Gillum, but watching him perform at the debate last night, uh, he's, he's very strong. He he's not wishy washy on any issues. He's certainly not taking a centrist position on on a lot of different things. He just stands up there. He's a fighting Democrat, which somebody tweeted us earlier that that's exactly what we need. And he's not backing down from it. And like, I think there's a lesson for Democrats. You know, when you look at all the wishy-washy centrist candidates that we've run over the years uh, on the state level and on the national level. Uh, you know, th- this resonates. It really resonates. But, you know, the phrase that we use uh, a lot for Democrats and Republicans, particularly when we see somebody who's never had national exposure, is they're not ready for prime time. Yeah. And, and you know, that's true in a lot of cases. They need to, if some of these people get elected to the Senate, We've had them on our show. I remember on CNN, we get them on Crossfire, whatever. We say, well, they got a little growing to do, yeah, right? And we've yeah. seen them. But Andrew Gillum is ready for this prime time. Moment. This is his moment. It really feels right. like this is his moment. Yeah, yeah. He's that good. And, of course, one of the biggest factors uh, in the excitement and the momentum uh, in this political year are American women. Women turning out more and more uh, running for office and turning out to vote and uh, leading campaigns uh, we'll get a particular perspective on that from our next guest joining me and Cam Joseph and all of you. Uh, Deirdre Schiefling is the executive director for the great Planned Parenthood. We'll find out what they are up to, all the latest. So uh, don't go away. Quick break. We'll be right back here Monday, October 22nd, The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. And on this Monday, October 22nd, uh, wrapping up here The Bill Press Show, the Monday edition. Good to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us as we come to you live from uh, our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those great men and women of our firefighting departments. We count on them every day. They never let us down, uh, protecting American families every single day of the year uh, and also uh, providing their support for our broadcast. Uh, So we salute them for the good work, thank them for their sponsorship of the program. Check out their website, uh, President Harold Schaitberger, Leading the Firefighters, and their website is iaff.org. Cameron Joseph from Talking Points Memo. Uh, we've been uh, covering the political landscape, particularly here. Uh, Cameron here is a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Uh, we're joined by now by Deidre Schiefling, who is the executive director of the Great Planned Parenthood. Hello, Deirdre. Deirdre nice to see Hello. you. Hello. Thank you for having me. Everything good? Everything's everything's looking good. What is the status of Planned Parenthood post Cecile Richards? <laughs> I mean, I, I I thought for the organization could never survive without <laughs> Cecile Richards. She's so great. Cecile is wonderful uh, and amazing, and we also have a new leader, uh, Dr. Lena Wen, starting in about a month, um, who will be uh, our first medical doctor to lead the organization in uh, many decades and who's going to be an amazing new leader for the organization. Now from Baltimore, right? She's she is, working in Baltimore. She is currently the health commissioner of Baltimore um, and a former emergency room doctor. 
um, an immigrant from China, mm-hmm. uh, and just all around amazing person. And what is Cecilia Richards going to run for? <laughs> That's the million dollar question that we get asked frequently. <laughs> Don't you think, Cam, there's a good chance? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you know, could go back home to Texas if it ever gets blue enough. <laughs> she's, we'll a great, she's a great person, and she'd she make is. a dynamite candidate. So I agree. And I, I'd have to believe that we haven't seen the last of Cecilia Certainly Richards not. No. Certainly not. On the national level. What's, this, what's the, before we get into the political landscape today, what's the status of, and the current status of Planned Parenthood? How many <clears> clinics <throat> do you have around the country today mm-hmm. in, so we have about 650 health centers all across the country wow. in every state in this country. Um, we have 12 million supporters. We've actually gained 2 million supporters just since uh, Trump was elected. So huge amount of energy. Um, and we serve uh, close to 3 million patients every year um, for birth control and um, breast exams and abortion services. 600 health clinics then, right? Six, and yep. this 12 million, you've actually... So do you call, are you going up from 10 million supporters, yes. you say, to 12? Yes. You call it the Trump bump? Is that <laughs> so he has we that. like to call it the women taking power bump. <laughs> uh, I think that's, yeah, yeah. That's better. And women taking power in the political landscape today is very real. We've been talking about some of the mm-hmm. candidates, Stacey Abrams in Georgia mm-hmm. and others, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but there are so yep. many around Jackie the country. Jackie Rosen. Yep. Jackie Rosen in Nevada. You just came back from Nevada. Yep. Right. I mean, it's it. A lot of women have been, whatever else with Donald Trump has done. He's inspired a lot of women to get out and file for office, state legislature, mm-hmm. city city council, all the way up to Congress and Senate. Yeah, that's definitely true. We've seen that. We've seen both new candidates on every level. You know, school board, state legislator, mayor of their small town. We've seen tons of new candidates coming out, um, first time candidates, and also new activists. Um, people who have never been involved before in campaigns or in politics who feel a new uh, urgency to get involved and shape the kind of democracy that they want to live in. And I guess the question, Cam, that a lot of people are asking is is about suburban Republican women. Yeah. Who... I, I just got back from a district. Uh, Peter Roskam uh, is a former member of uh, leadership, uh, You know, still a major player on the <clears throat> House Ways and Means Committee. And he's in a district Democrats have drawn to be a Republican district. They tried to make other more Democratic districts around it. Uh, and actually, that, that was one of the few maps they got to gerrymander. Mm. And he thought he was going to be safe. And that district swung so hard. It, it, uh, Mitt Romney won it by eight. Hillary Clinton won it by seven. And I was just there and uh, went to an event with uh, Sean Caston, who's the, the Democrat running there. And he actually, there's about four really strong female candidates in that primary who ended up splitting the female vote of lot and, and Sean Caston got the nomination. I was a pretty decent candidate, it seemed. Uh, but, you know, I, I went to this this organizing event uh, and the I, it was, you know, 70 percent female and the head of the organization was a former Republican activist who had flown to Cleveland to door knock for George W. Bush in 2004 and was so aghast at what was happening. You know, she she couldn't bring herself to vote for Hillary. She voted for Gary Johnson uh, and now <laughs> is leading this resist group. Uh, really? And, yeah. And, you know, uh, the 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 uh, head of uh, the, ch- the chair of, of Kasten's campaign uh, is a, a Navy veteran, I believe, uh, who's a former Republican. She said she popped champagne when Bush won, uh, is now 
chairing and fundraising for Caston. Uh, I, I mean, I've noticed this just just where I grew up and and which was an area that you know was Mark Kirk's old district had a lot of ticket splitting Republican women who didn't like taxes but were you know pro choice and. Uh, you know, pro pro gay rights, and and I mean, the district has become safely democratic because of where the Republican <clears throat> Party has gone. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing it was with your membership. There's a fair amount of people who, you know, were Republicans, and you know, may, maybe were, were socially more liberal, economically more conservative. And right now, we're talking mostly about social issues, and that's polarizing everybody. Uh, but I mean, the, the amount of, of activism from from women, I, I think, has just been astounding. And I think that. Uh, I mean, it's been heavily reported, and I think it still may be underreported given I mean, the, the gender gap we might see in this election might be historically large. It might be the largest we've ever seen. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And in fact, we're seeing right now a split with independent women. So exactly that population yeah. that you're talking about, people who may have formerly identified as Republican, now more identify as independent, a 30-point gap between support for the Republican, support for the Democrat in terms of re- those independent women who are going to be really critical uh, for many of these suburban house districts, um, so, so Planned Parenthood, in addition to uh, the daily the work and the people you're serving every day at the clinics, you also are you're, uh, a political organization. You do actually <clears throat> endorse candidates, uh, pro-choice candidates. I would imagine. So all, we, so all, I'm all women. Uh, no, no, we are we are not Emily's list. Um, oh, okay. Uh, we are a we have a C4 called Planned Parenthood Action Fund. So that is what I'm the executive director I, of, right. um, as distinct mm-hmm. from the healthcare yes. portion. Mm-hmm. And we also have a PAC, federal PAC, which endorses candidates. Um, and we endorse candidates based on their record of support for reproductive health and rights. Um, we endorse men and women. Um, we are endorsing in the race that um, we were just talking about um, in in Illinois. Um, a male candidate. So anyway, we endorse both across gender um, yeah. based on record. And um, how many candidates? Are, so, so tell us about some of the more, do you believe, the more exciting races and, and, and those that maybe still, yeah. you know, could flip either way. I mean, I think that the Senate races happening in Arizona and Nevada are incredibly exciting. And if we can uh, defeat um, those two Republican seats with these new women candidates, Democratic candidates, um, it will really send a message about the importance and centrality of reproductive health and rights. Um, These are both districts where access to Planned Parenthood, access to um, reproductive health care has been on the ballot. It was on the ballot last cycle um, in the Senate race um, in Nevada, and it's on the the ballot this cycle. Dean Heller promised um, to support Planned Parenthood and to, you know, stand up for against defunding efforts by his um, his caucus. And then he flipped and did the exact opposite. Um, And, you know, I think the Republican Party as a whole has shown its disdain for women openly since Trump's election. Um, There have been uh, just a huge uptick in attacks on access to reproductive health care, attacks on abortion, um, attacks on um, every part of being a woman. Um, and the whole Me Too movement. So I do think that um, women are energized. If we can take back those two seats, that will be a huge message. And um, McSally in Arizona is um, also, uh, isn't she the candidate, the Republican in Arizona, right? Mm-hmm. Against yes. uh, Kirsten Cinema, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She has been um, uh, a disaster on women's issues, on access to abortion. Um, done everything in her power to take access away 
um, from women in her state. And I think that we're going to see the repercussions of that. Right. And these are two, Kim, that we, as we talk, these are two must pickups for Democrats. Yeah. I mean, like it. But particularly assuming that they may lose one of the red states they have now. Those are must wins. And I think Democrats for the majority of the past year, year and a half, were feeling very good about Nevada. And I think there's some public polls that have shown Dean Heller up. I think they're still feeling pretty good about Nevada. But I and, and we, we see this every time we see I mean, there's a lot of bad polling in Nevada. Cause it's a very hard state to poll because of the combination of how many different, you know, heavily Hispanic uh, community around Las Vegas. But also that's uh, a that's a three shift place where a lot of people are working overnight. So it's just very hard to accurately yeah. poll. The yeah, we saw that the last populace. time. Yeah. Ever, really. um, yeah. Democrats still think they still have a little <laughs> bit of a lead there. But. Uh, the fact that they've gotten nervous about that, I think, is not a great sign for them across the map. Uh, Arizona was a state that you know, Kirsten Cinema basically were, was able to have the airwaves to herself for most of the summer while Martha McSally was fighting these two yeah. real hardcore right-wing candidates in this primary. And McSally had to run pretty hard right. Uh, and it was looking for a while like Cinema might be able to coast in. And McSally's, I mean, give her credit, McSally's team is very good, and they've run some really hard-hitting ads. They have a lot of footage of Kirsten Cinema back before she was a blue dog, middle-of-the-road mm-hmm. Democrat who gets kind of tailor-made for the state uh, when she was kind of a bomb-throwing uh, activist. And, uh, you know, you, you, even in, you know, 2009, 2010, making fun of her own state, you know, talking about... Uh, she's talking about how states were the you know laboratories of innovation, and she made a joke that Arizona was the meth lab of innovation, uh, <laughs> which you know okay is funny to a bunch of Democratic activists <clears throat> who are trying to win over independents ten years later. Not so helpful. Uh, so that that race feels very tight to me as well. Um, my gut tells me Democrats probably pull both of those off, but. Uh, neither one, by any stretch of the imagination, is a yeah. done deal at this point. Yeah. But one thing you've got two really strong candidates there. Yeah. We have two in very Arizona. strong candidates. You know, Jackie Rosen and Kirsten Sinema. And Kirsten Sinema, yeah. yes. And I think as long as we stay focused on issues, you know, I think when we get into stuff that is not as central to regular voters, you know, I was just knocking doors in Nevada um, yesterday. And <laughs> um, welcome home. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, and, you know, none of this stuff permeates to voters. Like, wh- what voters care about um, is stuff like health care, you know, access and. Um, who's with them on affordable health care, who's with them on pre-existing condition coverage, you know, who's standing up for them. Um, and I think as long as we stick to the issues that are core and central to voters, like access to reproductive health care, like access to health care in general, um, we'll be successful. They have a sense that, you know, the system's corrupt. They have the sense that um, the Republicans are um, running amok and self-dealing and all kinds of stuff. Um and they have a sense that they're taking away some core things that are important to them, like healthcare access. So I, I feel um, cautiously optimistic that if we stay focused on those issues, um, we will be successful on Election Day. But I agree that those are both within the margin and, and tough races. Um, have you endorsed any Republicans? We have endorsed Republicans. Um, this, this year? We have not endorsed Republicans this year that I can think of off the top of my head. It's possible, like, down ballot, there are some that our affiliates have endorsed. Um, unfortunately, um, we don't have a lot of Republicans who are would fit our criteria for endorsement, um, which are folks who are, um, you know, 100% on our issues. A couple cycles ago, yes, we had, you know, more Republicans. Richard Hanna, um, congressman for, from New York, you know, people like that. 
Um, but as the, um, you know, as the Republican Party has moved so far to the right and so far away from women, um, it's been harder and harder to find Republicans to endorse. I mean, but we are a nonpartisan organization, so we would like to find some Republicans to endorse. Right. I, 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 I was just curious. It's, yeah. it's just, just an anecdotal thing, but I, I identify with that. Um, years ago, I was a member of, I think, one of the first openly gay rights political organizations. It was called MECLA in Los Angeles, um, Municipal Elections Committee of Los Angeles. Uh, to endorse candidates who were supportive of gay rights. And we desperately wanted to endorse (laughs) and support candidates of both parties. And we could not find a Republican in California who would stand up and say, yes, I support gay rights. I mean, we tried and couldn't find them. So I'm sure you've tried too. I just, I was curious. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, looking forward to 2020, I mean, yeah. Susan Collins is somebody that you guys have not always, you kind of liked in the past. I'm curious, post-Kavanaugh, what the group's thinking is about that race. Not we were inc- of- I mean, we were incredibly disappointed by her vote in, in Kavanaugh. I think it was a real betrayal of women and betrayal of um, access to legal abortion in this country. Um, we were really uh thrilled with Lisa Murkowski's vote um, to, you know, protect access to uh, Roe. Um, And we'll see. You know, we'll see. Uh, Susan Collins is somebody who has been with us on other issues, um, protecting, you know, Planned Parenthood's ability to participate in Medicaid and serve Medicaid patients. Um, So it's not it's not black and white. Um, But, yeah, we were we were incredibly disappointed. Do you. Do you have any doubt that Brett Kavanaugh is a vote to overturn Roe v. Wade? No. I have no doubt about that. Uh, that he wouldn't been, wouldn't have been on the list, right? Right. But otherwise. Right. I mean, I think the so, you know is this something that's going to happen? You know, tomorrow, not necessarily, but yeah, yeah. I, the so Republicans how can you explain that agenda. Susan Collins, who says she is pro-choice, would vote for both Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh? I can't explain it. Kind of. Stunning. Tough to make that argument, right, to hold both positions, it seems to me, just consistently uh, or inconsistently, whatever. Yeah, I agree. So, but that raises a very good question, Kim. So that raises the question of, of what impact does the Kavanaugh nomination has it had on this, uh, on the midterms? Because Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell were both saying, <clears throat> Mitch McConnell, of all verbs that he used, that this would invigorate our base. As Peter and I said, that Mitch McConnell is the last one who should use the verb invigorate. Uh, he's not a very invigorating kind of person. But they said it was going to invigorate their base. And, of course, I think we would argue it's going to even further invigorate women uh, on the left. Do, do either of you see any sign of that? Or in the that? middle. Or have I mean, people just <clears> – <throat> or in the middle. Or have right. people just – I mean, that was last week's news after all, or two weeks ago now, right? So are they not even – talking about it anymore. I mean, I think there's some evidence in polling that it has invigorated um, the, the right and that this isn't, you know, these kind of judicial battles are something that their base is tuned into um, and cares a lot about and that it has it has helped them. Um, I, you know, I think it has solidified the support that we've had on our side all along for, you know, electing candidates who are going to respect the vast majority of the American electorate, um, who Kavanaugh does not represent, 
Um, and I think it's a real problem in our democracy that we have somebody who's been, you know, appointed by a minority president who got a minority of the vote, you know, confirmed by a minority Senate who has gotten the minority of the popular vote um, and who is historically unpopular. I mean, we've never confirmed a Supreme Court nominee who is as unpopular with the American people as Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and I think he'll continue to be so. So do you think the Kavanaugh nomination has had the impact on the midterm? Yeah, I think it polarized people further, and I think that's not a good thing for Democrats overall. I think when we're talking about the Senate map, you know, you're talking about the two kind of purplish states on the map. Everywhere else is pretty dang red that we're still talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. the third pickup, you know, if you guys somehow managed to win every one of the races across the map with incumbents besides Heidi Eichamp, who I think everybody acknowledges is just <clears throat> in a really tough spot, and you win Arizona and Nevada, the next best opportunities are Tennessee and Texas. Those are not exactly states. Uh, in spite of the fact that, you know, Ann Richards, you know, Cecile's mom, you know, was governor of Texas. She's the last one to really win statewide in a big way uh, 20-something years ago. And it's in a, now a position where Democrats are just going to have to win in very tough places. And if races become polarized along D versus R, liberal conservative, that makes it a lot harder for somebody like Joe Donnelly or Claire McCaskill uh, to come back and, or Phil Bredesen in Tennessee to pick up a seat. So that's not been helpful. I think in the House map, I think it's more of a mixed bag. I think that you know someone like Peter Roskam, I don't think was thrilled that they were talking about, you know, all, all of a sudden we're talking about Kavanaugh and abortion in the closing weeks of his race. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of more suburban territory that I think this is – a wash to slightly helpful for Democrats. But overall, I think it was not helpful. But, you know, that was, I mean, it was two weeks ago. I think it still matters. I think it definitely woke up the GOP base. People are voting now. I mean, we're talking about an election uh, that's, you know, two weeks and a day away. But, I mean, in in Arizona, people are early voting. In Nevada, people are early voting. The election is here in Indiana. It's here in a lot of places, in in Illinois um, and, and Florida. So, I mean, like, there's... You know, what what just happened does matter now as yeah. opposed to a month or two ago. But, you so. know, I remember Deirdre, the, the, uh, the, the protesters and there were there's so many people who turned out, particularly women yep. uh, around the Hart Building or on the U.S. Capitol yep. at the time of the confirmation. And, and, and the chant, remember in November, remember yeah. in November. I mean, uh, it does seem to me that these women who are so energized uh, have the capacity to stay energized for a month. For sure. Or for another two I think weeks that, now. I think the question is, you know, the question you're posing is, were they already energized? And I think, yes, yeah. they were. It solidified yeah. their, their commitment. Right. You know, the other thing I think that is a real misconception is that um, access to safe and legal abortion and that that, that that should be something that a woman makes the decision about herself as opposed mm-hmm. to a politician, that that is something controversial in this country. It really is not controversial in this country. What, there, is, the, what, what <clears throat> is the latest findings 70, on that? 71%. Um, of the American people support Roe, 71%. So, I mean, that is a fairly uh, large uh, yep. part of the electorate. Um, and, you know, I think there there is definitely a minority that- um, Which includes is, Republicans as well as Democrats. Yeah, in fact, in fact, um, 50% of uh, Trump voters, people who voted for Trump, support Planned Parenthood, support protecting Planned Parenthood's ability to participate in the Medicaid program, to provide uh, reproductive health care access. Um, you know, so I think these ideas of like, 
access to abortion, access to Planned Parenthood as controversial is not accurate. Um, it's a sort of manufactured controversy um, that gins it's up worked, a very small it, part of the yeah. of the Republican. I would base. agree. It's worked well for them. It for has a lot of years. Yeah. They keep yeah. beating that drum. You know. So hopefully this year we will, particularly among the evangelicals. Right. Right. Whether they'll forgive Trump or anything else. As I mean, as... I think a bit part of the problem for you guys' movement is over the years. I, I mean, I, not to quibble mm-hmm. with the numbers. I mean, like I, I think you guys probably are the, in the majority uh, in terms of Roe, but the more the people who vote on that issue have been on the other side more than on your side, and I think it's going to be a really interesting test to see whether people who are voting on abortion. Uh, it the numbers swing Flip. a little bit this time now I that it's, it's a more real issue. I well, still, I mean, I've talked to a lot of activists, you know, people who care about this who still don't really believe in their gut that Roe is going to be overturned. I think if Roe is overturned, I think that there's a real possibility of seeing that in the next couple of years. The political fights around this in terms of legal keeping it legal state by state are going to be white hot and intense, and I think that's going to be a really interesting a uh, political fight in the future. Let's hope you don't get there. But but in the meantime, the short term is, I think, picking up on your point, is turnout, right? Right. Turnout, turnout, turnout right. is going to be the key. And that's what And that's what I'm we're sure. doing. Yeah. And so part of our program as Planned Parenthood is reaching voters, knocking on doors. We're reaching four and a half million uh, voters across our target states in mm-hmm. key races, um, three million on the doors um, to turn them out, exactly as exactly as you said. Two weeks from tomorrow. All right. Good that you're out there doing that great work. Thanks, Deirdre, so much for coming in. Thank you for At having PlannedParenthood.org, you can follow her work. And Talking Points Memo for Cam. And that's it. We'll see you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.